Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge engine failure, it appears, for Erica. The smoke funneling out of the back of the car. Stanfield drives by. On this episode called All the Worlds a Staging Duel, we welcome Sean Langdon and Manny Bujinga. And it's Trip Tatum for the first time in his career. 370 flat, 330 miles an hour. We're talking a wild second round of Top Fuel in Vegas and the burndown heard round the Pro Mod world from Gainesville. Bobby Bodie's 074, and he blows the body off the car. Going through the finish line stripe, Bobby maintains control of the automobile. This is the NHRA Insider. Number 16 is going to take out number one. He left on a, by a day and a half. Both Manson Hines bikes are out, and it is crazy town at Pro Stock Motorcycle. Hey, everybody. It's Brian Loans here with the NHRA Insider Podcast. This episode is going to be... Very, very interesting. It's going to be very, very good. I can promise you that. As we have Sean Langdon and Manny Bujinga on, I'm calling this show All the World is a Staging Duel because these are two guys that have made headlines on the starting line of the drag strip in 2023. Obviously, it was just last weekend in Las Vegas where Sean Langdon, uh, the second round of Top Fuel, went up there and, and timed out. We had a very impassioned interview with him and multiple other members of the quad that he was in, whether it was Josh Hart. Uh, Steve Torrance we heard from Mike Salinas was the fourth car that was up there and from Andy Bujinga um, we are welcoming the Pro Mods back to Charlotte and Manny Bujinga is a rookie in the NHRA Pro Mod series as you'll learn not at all a rookie to the world of door slammer drag racing and in his first professional NHRA start he had a two and a half minute staging battle with um with Chris Thorne on the starting line, which had uh, amazing, uh, dramatic, and uh, huge effects for him and his team, which is going to affect kind of what he's doing going forward. We're going to probe into that story. We're going to get the inside scoop from Sean Langdon, and we're really going to learn some of that mental math, some of the mental gymnastics that go on at the starting line in the world of professional drag racing. I can't wait to get into these two topics, but We also need to talk about Vegas for a second. Um, What a race. What a race. A race that had a little bit of a slow pace to it on Friday and Saturday. You know, qualifying was okay. There was nothing really earth-shattering happening there. But then on Sunday, uh, things just ramped up vertically, and it was very, very good. You look at uh, Tony Stewart winning the race in a fuel dragster or in top alcohol dragster in his A-fuel car. A momentous moment in the world of NHRA drag racing. It can't necessarily be overstated about how big a deal it is to have a guy of Tony Stewart's caliber, um, his standing, his prominence, however you want to say it, uh, not only competing in our sport, but now as a winner. And then his team doubles up as Matt Hagen wins a Nitro Funny Car. Um, we can look at Pro Stock and Dallas Glenn, the working man's Pro Stock hero, has now won two races in a row and is a championship leader, perhaps a championship favorite at this early part of the season. We can't look past the idea that Erica Enders seemingly has a car that is just not where it needs to be performance-wise for her to be at the front of the pack and competing. Even as good as she is, we can look at Matt Harford, number one qualifier for the first time in his life. Unfortunately for him, the starting line went the wrong way for him. He had a 77 light and lost on a hole shot to be eliminated in the race. Um, we talk about the top fuel category, that the side-by-side-by-side 378s in the first round with Antron Brown, with Tony Schumacher, and with Brittany Force. Antron Brown wins the race on Sunday afternoon, putting on a command Antron Brown level performance. So... It was, by all account, a really great weekend in Las Vegas, and 
you know, I, I'm not sure. Nothing overshadows, totally overshadows victories and stuff like that. But the interplay, these, these inter-storylines, we have a lot more people on the internet, on just inside the world of drag racing, fans, whatever, talking about this starting line situation in round two of Top Fuel necessarily than we do about other stuff, about about anything. And it's an amazing thing. I wrote a, I wrote a column, my column for National Dragster, and I entitled the column A Sudden Gust of Reality because we have this season going on where we've left every race with some sort of a awesome controversy, some sort of an awesome topic to talk about beyond uh, somebody setting a record or setting low ET, uh, beyond somebody running big speed, beyond really just who won the race. And it's the best possible thing that we can have in this sport. It's something that I've been wishing for upon stars and praying for that we were going to have a kind of awakening, whether it's by hook or by crook, where our drivers become much more center stage than the numbers on the scoreboard become. And that is exactly what's begun to play out in almost a relentless fashion in 2023. Uh, and I don't see it ending. I, 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 I really do feel as though when we look top to bottom in, in professional drag racing and we look top to bottom in just high level drag racing, we can, we need to include classes like top alcohol drags or top alcohol funny car in these discussions, which by no means am I saying they're not professional because the amount of effort, the budget, the blood, sweat, and tears, that is professional level competition. But also what we're seeing across this board is that, um, the, the human element is becoming more and more prominently necessary to be winning races than having a killer tune-up. And it, maybe it hasn't been quite that way for the, the, the longest period of time. And now that we are seeing more of that onus, more of that responsibility, more of that necessity being placed upon the people in the car, as opposed to the engine that's sitting in front or behind them, uh, it, is, it, is, it is bringing people out. The birds are chirping. Uh, spring is sprung, and uh, this idea of of us having kind of either controversial topics or or stuff that makes you wince, stuff that makes you cringe, it, it's great. Not the most comfortable thing in the world, of course, and we're going to talk about that. I'm sure with our competitors that we're going to have on the show today that you know these are not. Um, the easiest conversations to have they're not the they're not the like hey man congratulations you won the race why did you win the race tell me how good a job you did that's softball stuff that's easy we can all do that anybody who wins a race has no problem telling you about how they won the race a couple of guys we get two losers on the show and i don't mean them losers overall they're great people sean langdon's a world champion manny bajinga's won half dozen or more championships in drag racing but the two guys on this show make no mistake about it gambled and lost and they gambled and lost in the most visible fashion you can in the sport, which is on the starting line. And maybe gambling's the wrong word. They planned, they they plotted, they executed a plan that they wanted to implement, and it didn't go in their favor. And so I give credit, before we even begin this show, to the two guests coming on here. Because, like I said, it's one thing to jump on here and say, hey man, well done. You guys said low ET every round. You had the best average reaction time of the race. You won. Nobody has a problem having that conversation, but it does take a little, it does take a little zhuzh to be able to, to, to come on here and, and break down some stuff that maybe didn't go your way. And for at least one of these racers, the stuff not going his way led to immediate and cataclysmic changes with his team. And that's Manny Bujenga. He'll be our second guest on the show. So, you know, I think that, um, I, I don't know any other way to put it other than 
when we have more stuff to talk about in drag racing other than big numbers or small numbers on a scoreboard and when those conversations turn into this next level of the sport where you're going to learn about drivers that take this very seriously that pride themselves on being winners that pride themselves on having the ability to approach modify and then uh, execute a plan or a strategy or an idea this is the type of stuff that starts to change people's perspective on what drag racing is stage the car hit the gas go no no you can say that. It's like saying a marathon runner. Uh, hear the starting gun, run for 26 miles, win the race. Right? That's all you got to do to win a marathon. All you got to do to win a drag race is stage the car, hit the gas, and turn on the wind line. Right? Wrong. This whole next hour of conversation you're going to hear has nothing to do with that basic a premise. It has everything to do with all the bajillions of things that are fall within that very, very wide outline or sketch as to what being successful as a professional drag racer is and it's the type of stuff that I live for these are the conversations to me that I I didn't sleep last night I was so excited to talk to these guys this morning I'm thinking man I got questions I I can't wait to hear what he has to say about this I can't wait to hear what he has to say about that so I hope you're as excited about this one as I am um, because this is uh, this is not the typical lollipops and roses uh, yippy dippy do we won the race uh, type of podcast it's going to be great uh, we have a, a pre-race show of course next week we always have Kevin and Tony on that's become a great uh, a great thing where we we kind of dish on on what we know what we've heard and that kind of stuff but this this week is not about speculation this week is not about what we think happened this week is coming straight out of the horse's mouth the horses that were both involved in these particular situations. Um, we had a, as I mentioned, great weekend in Las Vegas. The weather cooperated, fans cooperated, great crowds, and just overall exciting action. Um, and we'll do it for the second and final time four wide when we get to Charlotte next week. So I guess before I totally kind of throw into our conversations here with Sean Langdon will be on first and, and Manny will be uh, on behind him. Um, I'm always interested, and especially when we have these these kind of controversies, what the the public opinion is, and there's a lot of it, and there's and you know that is whether you want to read it or not, and we'll get into that, you know, with both of these guys, um, that is what makes the world go round, and that is what I believe NHRA Drag Racing's next great gulf to cross is, or and I think we're actually on the boat now, we're crossing it, is this idea of that level of intensity and emotional honesty just just pouring out of people and listen we saw it out of krista baldwin this week and krista which is i'm not saying that as a shock krista baldwin is incredibly passionate right she's passionate and we know that she's passionate because we see how she reacts when the car runs well she picks up around when she's making a personal best like that energy just exudes off of her well this weekend she didn't have that experience. She went, did the burnout in the first round in the car. They could not get the car to back up, whether it was an idle problem. I believe it was the car was idling exceptionally high. Um, she did the professional thing, the highly professional thing, in that when it was not an immediately solvable issue, and there were three other cars that were most of the way back to the starting line, she cut bait and went to the top end, which allowed those other three races to make their runs effectively uninterrupted. But we saw Krista get out of the car. And we saw Krista, the body language said it all, highly disappointed, highly disappointed, uh, removed equipment aggressively, 
not over the top. There was nothing getting thrown or chucked. I think she wanted to. But that is one of those windows into a person who, as much as we see her and respect her as that racer who loves this with all her heart and soul, who has only ever wanted to do this, but we saw that fire. And to me, that fire is the most validating, important thing that our fans can see. And in the world we live in today, there may be people at home like, I can't believe the way that she put her Hans device down. I can't believe the way she ripped her head sock off. I can't believe the fact that she was clearly highly frustrated about what just happened. Well, I'm glad she was. And I think I speak for all of us to say I'm glad she was. Because in that moment, again, not that I didn't 100% respect everything she's accomplished in this sport and everything she's fought and dug and clawed for beyond anybody's own idea of how hard she has worked to do this. But I saw the competitor right there. I saw a competitor who was going to make that run and who had planned to advance. If she didn't, she would not have been nearly as frustrated as she was. If she didn't think that she was going to go to the second round staging that race car, she would have just taken the stuff off and smiled and waved and gone back to the pits. But she didn't. She was pissed. And that means she expected to win or move on to the next round. And as much as it's maybe an, an obvious thing to say, that's a moment in time that brings Crystal Baldwin to the next level for me and maybe for a lot of people. And so that great balance of we want our drivers to say just enough. We don't want them to say too much. We want them to say just enough. Well, they didn't say enough after this happened, but the guy said too much after this happened. Not comfortable, but boy, it is the needle mover for NHRA Camping World Drag Racing that we need because every single person out there, every single one of them, has a personality, whether it's the fiery personality, whether it's somebody who gets up on the chip real quick and is and is going to tell you exactly what's on the front of their mind, whether it's the person that's more measured, whether it's the person that sees the bright side on everything. Um, we're seeing more of that real. We're seeing a whole lot more of that real. Second round in Phoenix, Camry Caruso goes in on purpose or not. She goes in, double bulbs, quadra times out, number one qualifier. We know the impassioned words that Senior had on the starting line there. We know that things got pretty warmed up in the pits after that happened when when they attempted to uh, have a conversation, the two teams. And uh, I love it. Got to admit, love it. And um, we're going to see a whole lot more of it because championships, that, that creeping idea of the sands running through the glass – that creeping idea of I need to have a championship caliber car by the time we get to Indy, that creeping idea of I didn't invest my life in this, my money in this, my time in this, my emotional investment in this, I didn't do all that to not be a factor, is starting to really bubble up. And it's only going to get more furious. We're going to go from the parboil to the full boil by the time we get to Indy. And uh, who knows what that means or looks like, but I know it looks real to me. It means that people are translating the idea that um, that this is this is not something they're out here to just screw around with. This is something they're here to, to succeed at, and it's great. So all that being said, now that I've rambled on, uh, Sean Langdon is our first guest. When we come back to this episode of the NHRA Insider, we are going to go inside the helmet for the man himself, Sean Langdon, who timed out during the second round of Top Fuel at Las Vegas. How did it happen? Why did it happen? And what does he think of it? 
We're going to find out. Also, we'll find out what he had to talk to Connie about after he did it. We'll be right back. All right, so we are back with our first guest on this episode of the NHRA Insider. He is the driver of the DHL Toyota Top Fuel Dragster. CMR Roofing and Construction also plays a big part in that team. Sean Langdon, how you doing, man? I'm doing just fine. Well, first off, I want to say thanks for coming on. We had a wild day on Sunday at Las Vegas at the Four Wide Nationals, and obviously one of the moments that a lot of people are still talking about is is that second-round quad of, of Salinas, Josh Hart, yourself, and, and Steve Torrance, and... It, it's pretty interesting how people have reacted to this thing, man. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I guess I've uh, gotten both ends of the spectrum on it. Um, and, hey, everybody's entitled to their opinion. And, um, you know, I everybody has their own way of racing. And, and you know, that's what makes the sport great, right? There's difference of opinions. And, um, sometimes there, there's conflict. Um, yeah, and look, in this year, I mean, every every race so far this year, we've had something to talk about. Whether it was, uh, whether it was at Gainesville, um, when we got the seasons kicked off in Gainesville, when we got to we got to Phoenix, there was the whole you know Camry Caruso double bulb situation with with Quadra. Then we get to. Uh, we get to the next race and, you know, John Force is driving over people and around people and up underneath people. And then we get to this race. So to me, it's we've had these, these stories coming out of each race. But the reason I want to talk to you about this in particular is I think it's a great opportunity for us to talk about not only that moment in time, but also the kind of reasoning and why the staging procedure from end to end is, is really important. And I'm not sure a lot of fans understand it, really. Yeah, well, you know, I guess first off, uh, let me start off by saying everybody knows the rules, right. and there was only one person that didn't follow the rules, and that was me. Yeah, and I'm the one that got timed out. Right, and it was 100% my decision for my actions to do what happened, and the end result was. Like a lot of people have told me on social media, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. And they're right. And I did. Now, leading up to this situation, um, and first of all, let me just start off by saying, Josh Hart did nothing wrong. Josh Hart raced his race. Right. Okay. Josh Hart's a great guy. I've had conversations with Josh. I like Josh. He's a great guy. Great family man. Great businessman. He's great for the sport. We need more Josh Hart's. We need more Josh Hart sport. I don't have any any issues with Josh. Yeah. Now, with that being said, right, well, I have had yeah. raced Josh in the past, and his staging procedure is slow. Now, there are these unwritten rules of the sport. Just like any sport you go to, there's give and take. Baseball's got a thousand of them, right? People always talk about the kind of unwritten rules of the game of baseball, and and they and they exist in every in every sport. To your point, yeah. And so there's a there's a lot of give and take, and there's a lot of give and take in in, in NASCAR racing. When you go into a turn, sometimes you give in, sometimes you give it up. You'll get them on the next time around. It's no big deal. Well, there's been a some races that I've had with Josh, he's been a little bit slow. Not a big deal. I make adjustments. And you always try to make adjustments for who you're driving. That's the great thing about, you know, as many races we do throughout the season, you start to learn your competitors. And 
you know, I've had instances that I've been a little bit slow and I've had instances in the past that people have come over to me and, Hey, is there a problem in our, in our sport? You know, there's, there's, it's not like if you have something against someone, you can't run them into a wall. You can't drive them into a turn. You can't bump them, nudge them, rub them. There's none of that in our sport. The only way that there is to get some, somebody back in a sense, if there is a vendetta is to potentially play it out on the starting line. Yeah. Now, with that being said, you know, there's a lot of times that things happen on the starting line that's completely unintentional. Oh, sure, yeah. And, Something's going on inside the car or some gets hung yeah. up. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you know, and, and I'm not going to say, I'll be the first to say, Josh isn't doing anything wrong. He's not doing anything out of a vendetta that I believe. Josh is a very nice guy. He's a good racer, but it's been noticed over the last year, a lot of the racers talk that he's just on the slower side. So you race him, and it's like, man, he's a couple seconds behind. Okay, next time I race him, I'm going to slow my procedure down a little bit just to, you know, kind of be close. Nobody wants to be stuck in the stage beam with the pedal out for three, four, five, six seconds. Yeah. And it just provides, you know, one, year burning fuel. Two, you get a lot of clutch heat. We had an instance last weekend where, um, you know, someone was a little bit long and we got a little light on fuel, had the front end up, smoked tires. Those things will happen. And, and look, yeah. it's, it's, it's part of racing. And you have to do a good job as you, with your team to adapt to these situations. That way you don't let other things affect your car like that or you inside the cockpit. Right. So, you know, there's, there's just so many things that happen. Well, I guess leading up to that round... After the first round, we had won the round, and I was hanging around and had a top-end interview. Steve Torrance had gotten out of his car, and he had come over and said, man, Josh hung us out. That was It was pretty bad. Well, so it was kind of like, okay, well, we're all in the next quad. Like, we probably need to slow down. Right. We probably just need to, like, look, if, if he's doing that in a four-wide scenario, I'll just hang out with him. But don't just jump jump right in because, yeah. you know, you, you'll have your clutch out. So he goes, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know he had made a comment in an interview. He said uh, that he, um, you know, I don't know what if Josh lost what lane he was on, but he was a little bit slow getting in. Um, so that kind of leads us up into the second round, and, yeah. and that was kind of a little bit of the game plan. Not that we were plotting or – you know, trying yeah, to, but ultimately we were, you're going to look at who you're racing and have an idea of what the hell you're going to do to give yourself the best chance to win. You know, that's yeah. what this is. Ab- absolutely. So the the best way for me is I feel that, you know, I struggle on the tree when I'm sitting in there five or six seconds as anybody would in the class, you know, just with your pedal out. And so it was kind of set that, you know, Torrance and I were not going to go in first and we were just going to kind of wait to see how Josh's situation played out. And um, so that kind of led us up to the oil down incident that happened right in front of us. Yes. When Rob Passy had oil down the car, then there was a lengthy uh, cleanup for that. So all the drivers got out of the car, Um, you know, Torrance and I had a conversation during that time. Um, you know, some of the drivers went in the tow vehicles and kind of cooled down or whatever. Um, so at one point, Josh had come over to me 
and you know very nice very politely just said you know hey you know i i've been battling this neck injury and i was i guess i was slow uh in the in the first round but i'll make sure this round i get in quick and i said oh okay not a problem at all like that's great he had gone over to torrance and said the same thing well torrance and i had gotten together after that and he said hey josh told me that he was going in quick and i said yeah he told me that as well and he goes all right well i guess we'll just kind of you know speed up go back to normal or and i said okay that's fine you you do whatever you have to do but i'll probably (laughs) hang i'll probably hang a little bit just because i don't want to get stuck in first and you know in the four wide scenario so i'll just kind of hang out a bit and uh you know we'll let the situation play out as it was assuming taking josh's word that he said he was going to go in quicker well, in the incident, <laughs> as it turns out, <laughs> Salinas goes right in. Yeah, you know, and and you know, Torrance had gone in right at, at the time that I had seen Salinas go in. I said, "Okay, well, he's in. I need to pull my pump on." So I pulled the field pump on, and then it was like I didn't really see nothing for a second. It was like, "Okay, I'll just wait a second. Then Torrance had gone in. Yes, it was like, "Okay, well, Josh should be going in pretty quick now." So. I let the pedal out, and as I let the pedal out, I was kind of just letting the car creep in, creep in, creep in, and then right at the time of about six and three-quarter seconds, Josh staged. Yeah. He did it perfect. Yep. He did it absolutely perfect, and I was on, in the process of coming in. My red light drops. I'm odd man out. 100% on me, 100% my fault. Um you know, and, and I felt terrible. Uh, just oh, it has stupid. to be. It has to it, be a brutal feeling. Honestly, it has to be a brutal feeling. Yeah, I mean, honestly, driving down the track, I was thinking, well, I probably got two weeks of work left, and uh, <laughs> I'm gonna have to figure out my next one, my next job. This is this is this is worst case scenario right here. Just really, yeah. honestly, uh, embarrassed, disappointed in myself. Um, to get caught up in that. Uh, and, and look, Josh had every right to do what he did. Um, but like I said, it's just, it, these are things that, that drivers amongst each other talk about. And there's been multiple drivers that have said you know, through the course of like the last year or so, he's just a little bit on the slow side. And there's a couple of people that are, you know, have said things. Not a lot of people say things to the public. There's a lot of things that just oh sure get discussed amongst the drivers yeah. that never make it to TV or never make yep. it to media. Because at the end of the day, you just take care of it the next In-house. round you race somebody. Yeah. yeah. And so it just kind of proceeded on from that. And, you know, just uh, I took it too far. Um, obviously, uh, just more embarrassing. I'm, I'm better than that. I know better than that. Uh, it's 100% on me. And it just turned into a situation where at the end of the day, that was the absolute wrong scenario to... I guess really do anything like that in a four wide situation because you know obviously Steve said when he got out of the car he was pissed off and he said you know some stuff on the the interview which he came right over and said hey I just let you know I got out of the car and slammed my helmet and I banged it on the top body panel and he said I just I knew what you were going to do because you we discussed it before the round so when I saw the two bulbs not on I knew what you were doing. I was just more waiting for him to get in. Um, but, you know, I just, honestly, I went back to the pit afterwards and I obviously just owed a huge apology to 
my crew guys, like I told them, I said, guys, you work way too hard for that kind of crap. Um, and that one's on me. I, I owe you guys. That's, uh, absolutely uncalled for. You work way too hard to give me too good of a race car for me to be racing like that. Um, you know, obviously said my apologies to the crew chiefs, went to Connie, went to Doug. Um, and, and for the most part, they were all really supportive of it. You know, obviously they didn't like the situation, but they knew what was going on because yeah, but at, at the same time and i get all and i certainly understand that and and that is part of the team dynamic right the team dynamic on a good team has to be when something happens whether it's on one side of the fence or the other somebody takes responsibility for it and you, and you, you move forward but right but yeah. is it is it possible that yeah this sucked right but is it possible that this moment that sucks down the road has a positive effect somewhere, right? I mean, because ultimately, if, if you don't do anything ever, then that that seed never gets planted in the back of a competitor's mind that maybe something's going to happen up here. And having that, at least having something lingering in somebody's head every once in a while, can work to your benefit at times. Like, is there a time when this experience later on in the season may actually come back to your favor? Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, like I said, a, a lot of the drivers always try to get their timing right. You kind of know your competitors. I mean, there's been some times where, you know, I may be trying to in qualify and get it in really thin and get that flicker. And, yeah. you know, the, the guy that I'm running, you know, is in two or three seconds and I'm the first guy to go over there. Hey, I apologize. I just, I took a little long. You know, you know a couple races ago, you know, I run Steve Torrance in a qualifying run. He says, ah, sorry about that. I was a little short, uh, slow getting in. A couple races ago, I also went to Tony Schumacher. Hey, sorry, a couple seconds, you know. And, and we all kind of do the give and take. You know certain competitors yeah. are, you know, qualifying, trying to get it thin. Sometimes on race day, scenarios change. Everybody plays by the same rules. Everybody has seven seconds. Everybody knows what the deal is. Yeah. Um, you know, and like I said, it just one of those scenarios where it played out like it, like it did. Um you know, and, and obviously I went right over to the Capco team right afterwards too and, and gave my apologies to them and they all said, hey, no, we, we knew what was going to happen there because, you know, we, we right. saw it first round and we saw it second round and we knew what was going to happen and obviously I went to the Scrappers team and I told Mike and, and that whole crew the same thing as well that, um, you know, because obviously Mike was just over there, innocent bystander, doing his own deal, yeah. racing his race and, um you know, I like I told him, I said, man, you work too hard to uh, and, and spend your money to come out here and race a good race. And I didn't give you a good race there. I I, I, I messed up. And, and you know, obviously, Mike was, Mike was upset about the situation. But at the end of it, he was very understanding. He, he you know, hey, let's go out there and race and, yeah. and uh, you know, see you at the next race. No big deal. No, no hard feelings. No nothing. So, you know, just the situation, it, it, it was at the end of the day, it was, it was my deal. It was my fault. I don't blame anybody for anything that happened other than myself. Yeah. And I think, listen, I think you made that abundantly clear in the interview. And and I know there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people that, you know, have to breathe with their mouth open that read the internet that don't, that either don't understand what words mean or just, I don't listen to the ones that actually come out of people's mouths, but you said it right there at the top end of the racetrack. You did. Yeah. It wasn't like you said, you know, the, 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 the one you didn't come out there and say, well, that was quick. That that wasn't you didn't come out there and go. Well, that wasn't seven seconds. There was none of that yeah. discussion. No, I, I knew the deal, and I knew in the four wide it's seven seconds from when the first time stages, and I knew I was cutting it close, and uh, it was just more in my head that I just was going to stage behind um, 
hard. Yeah. And that, that's just more what upsets me in the situation is, you know, everybody has every right to do what they want. And, and Josh does nothing wrong with how he stages. No. It, it just, I, it was in my mind that I was just going to stage him behind him. And he, he waited to the last possible second, which he had every right to. And I just made an absolute 100% terrible decision. I knew where I was at. I knew it was getting close. And that's why I was kind of, you know, at the point I was sliding in half a second the other way. I'm, I'm in and, and this isn't even a discussion. No, um, but again, I think the other thing too is like for, for people listening that, you know, the next level kind of understanding of this sport, it's like, it's, you know, not to use another baseball analogy, but you do not throw, you do not pitch every hitter the same way you have an approach to different hitters you have an approach you know a guy can hit a slider you know a guy can hit a curveball so you don't throw it to him or you throw him off speed stuff so this you know i get it on a professional level of having that professional courtesy but if you're watching from home and you see this stuff happen understand that there is like there's methodology to being a professional racer in this sport a lot of people you read the comments and it's just like it's like all you guys do, well, they just put the light on and then they hit the gas and go. It's like it kills me because people really fail to understand that there is a next level to all this stuff going on just below the surface. Yeah, absolutely. And and we utilize a, an app, Microsoft Teams, that um, the NHRA provides us data from the, the previous run um, of every qualifying run and every elimination round that shows everybody's incrementals. It shows the tree time. Um, it shows, you know, you have from basically when the tree's activated is a 0 0.01 to a 0 0.50 tree variance, a random tree. So, you know, there's certain competitors that are better on the short trees or certain competitors that are better on the long trees. Um, certain competitors, guys like Tony Schumacher, Tony Schumacher on race day, he loves to get in first. Yes. And yeah. If, if you try to play games with Tony Schumacher and he's in first and you think you're going to hang him out and get an advantage, you're not because he gets better the longer he sets in there. Now there's, <laughs> yeah, and it, it, it's just, you know, he's one of the best in the business. Now there's some drivers that are, you know, very good on, on going in first or last and it doesn't really matter. You know, guys like Antron Brown, he's first or last and it doesn't matter. And he's, he adapts, you know, Justin Ashley's obviously taking this class by storm Yeah. Um, with his reaction times. I mean, he's, you know, he's kind of set the bar for everybody. We're all kind of playing a little catch up to him. Um, but yeah, there's, there's different things that go into it, but you know, at the end of the day, there is, like I said, the unwritten rules of, of the class that everybody tries to, and this goes for, I'm going to say 95% of the class is, you know, if you race someone and you're constantly going in first, I could promise you they're not going in first on you the next time. Yeah. And they'll never speak about it. They'll never, like I said, it'll never hit the media. It'll never hit an interview, but these are things that will get talked amongst drivers, crew chiefs, teams. And like, you know, Hey, this guy's been slow on us. Like we're, we're not going in. So just to let you know that that's our game plan of the team. <laughs> And, and sometimes those are scenarios that happen and, yeah. and sometimes it just it's a non-factor and it doesn't ever get dis gets discussed um, you know you mentioned but, you know you mentioned kind of making the rounds in the pit area in your own pit er pit area after this happened and having these conversations and there is not a there is not a speck of me 
that would want to have been standing in your shoes when you had to go knock on the boss's door, right? I mean, talking to all these guys, it's a tough thing. But then when you <laughs> when you got to go sit down with Connie, like you said, when you're idling down the racetrack thinking, well, maybe this is the last time I'm doing this for these guys. Um, you know, what was that in, in general terms when you when you approach Connie? What uh, what was that conversation? Uh, I, I was probably more nervous for that scenario than I was racing for the 2013 championship. <laughs> but look, you got to do yeah. it. Right? Yeah, you got to, you like, got to. This is a hundred percent on me. It was my action is my decision. So yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm one of the more outspoken drivers and I'll call it like I see it. So if I'm on the other end of the spectrum now, I got, yeah. I can't sit here and play the victim of the card. Yep. Like I got to accept what's coming to me because if I'm going to call it like I see it, I got to yeah. accept how other people are going to call it like they see it. And and I completely accept full responsibility for that. So yeah, at that, at that moment, you know, it was like, Hey, you know, I, I, I gotta, I gotta bite the bullet on this. And, and, you know, it's only fair to Connie for right. everything he's done for our team, for, for my team, for me. Uh, and so I just kind of went up to him and I said, just, I said, Hey boss, uh, I owe you a huge apology for that. And he just said, for what? And I said, well, you know, I made a huge mistake. And uh, I said, it's on me. I just, I was trying to, I was trying to just get in a little bit behind him. And, and, and I made a mistake and my count was off and, and I, I got timed out. Yeah. And, uh, and he just kind of looked at me and he said, well, you know, just, uh, those things happen, obviously, and um, you know I, I'm not going to suspect you're going to do that again. <laughs> and uh, he said, you know, I mean, in in a situation like that, I mean, you know, would would you do it again? And I said, well, probably. Yeah. And you know, and he said, okay. I said, now not in the situation of a four wide, because obviously. You know, there's there's collateral damage. Two, yeah, <laughs> there, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's two other teams yeah. that that yeah. are that are sitting there. You know, obviously yeah. Torrance is Torrance and his team knew knew the situation as well. Uh, but you know, it's just it's it's not not the right time to, to yeah. set a precedence. And so it just, um, you know, he was actually very very cool about it, and he he understood, and you know, he told me some old stories about you know things that he would get into back in the day of. Um, some staging battles or staging procedures or different things like that with other competitors. And, you know, obviously times, times were different back then. Of, oh, sure. You know, just, so, <laughs> you know, just, you know, he just, we just kind of actually sat and had a good conversation yeah. about it. Um, you know, kind of just, and I can't have nothing but respect for that guy. He's a, uh, he's, he's a great man. He's got great stories. He's got, he's very, very, he's got a lot of intelligence about the sport. And so it's, you know, situations like that, it's kind of a deal where I just more went over there and gave my apologies yeah. um, to him and, and just sat there, shut my mouth and, and opened my ears and just listened to him and uh, tried to gain as much knowledge from him as possible. And I got to imagine, too, from from his perspective, to the degree that you went over there and had the conversation, if you had gone over there and he said, what happened? And you said, I don't know. That's when he hands you the pink slip, right? I mean, if he goes, if if you're having this conversation, what happened up there? Well, I'm not sure what happened, and it's like that means you're out to lunch, right? It's like well, having that, you know, it's one thing to have a to have an approach that fails. It's another thing to go up there and just be just be in the weeds. Yeah, and you know, I I think that's one thing that he and the team knows about me is. You know, you you always get the hundred percent yes honesty or facts from me. 
Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not a driver that's going to come in with, with a laundry list of excuses <laughs> of, of all these different things. I mean, there's been yeah. things in the past that people haven't got staged and it was, well, you know, my, I had an arm injury or I had a, you know, uh, saw my, a squirrel. Uh, yeah. Saw, yeah. You know, <laughs> saw something or this, you know, my brakes didn't work or, you know, just, you get yeah. the laundry list. I'm, I'm not going to give that to you. I just yeah. look, I messed up. This was on me. You know, it, it won't happen again. Uh, that that's the best I can give you. Um, and you know, I have nothing but apology about the situation. I feel bad. Yeah. Like I said, I just, I feel bad. I put my team in that situation. Yeah. In uh, uh, that of not getting in, I I know better now. I I know how the starting line works. I know all the rules. Um, and I just it was just a, a terrible lapse of judgment on my part. And um, you know I got to uh, kind of replay myself. Well, one last thing we'll hit on before I let you go is the fact that you know I think the reason we're even having this conversation is when we talk about the level of top fuel competition. You know, it's one of those things that's a cliche to say, but it's like look across the board at this category, and it is insane. I mean, it really is freaking nuts when you look up and down. You know, we got, I think, 16 or 17 cars entered right now for, for Charlotte. We may pick up one or two more. But out of those 16 or 17, there's, I'm going to say, a legitimate 15 of them got a shot to win the damn race. It's crazy. It is. And it, and it actually, it's it, it's it's great to see, uh, you know, for being a fan of the sport, but also being a competitor in the sport, uh, there's really not a lot of gimmies. Um, you know, I mean, you saw in, in the first round last weekend, you know, in the first round, uh, I, I, uh, oh, the, I three, was, the three, three seventy eight side by side by side, you know, you had, yeah, yeah. You had, uh, Brittany Antron and Schumacher all ran three seventy eight. I mean, to yeah. Impressed. And it, yeah. Yeah. And it's like the, the slow reaction time was oh sixty four. You got to yeah. be on your game every time there's there's not a short car count where it's it's like you know okay let's just make a run down the track first round and then we'll worry about the race later no it's you got to make four good runs on race day and as a driver you got to do everything that you can to give you and your team the best benefit you can and you got to do your job on the starting line and and it's it's great for the sport i mean i think we've seen that enough you know the first three races were sold out and you know it's it's good for the sport. It's, it's what the sport needs. Um, you know, like I said, we just, it, it'd be awesome if we had another four or five full-time teams. Yes. Where you got, yes, indeed. Yes. You know, I, I remember some, some races years ago where, it, you know, it took a high 370 to qualify or a low 380 to qualify. Um, and, and that's where the level is at right now. It's, you know, you, you're seeing four, four or 500 separate top half from the bottom half of the field. And I mean, there's there's not it really comes down to the driver of staging the car right and and not doing anything wrong going down the track keeping the car straight as possible and look for for me this is about my 10th season i guess with nhra in one capacity or the other and and this is the first year i can remember that when we come out of each individual race of the season whether it's like i mentioned before whether it's weight gate in gainesville whether it's double bulb pro stock gate in phoenix whether it's john force bulldozer gate in in pomona whether it's the starting line deal in vegas we have these great stories to talk about and people are actually talking about them and it's it's not the most comfortable thing and i respect you i respect the hell out of you for coming out here and, and and coming on here and giving us the breakdown like you have but like the fact that this sport, NHRA specifically this year, has been more about what's going on with people than more about what's on the scoreboard is huge for us. It's huge. What do we always hear? Oh, well, these guys they don't say anything, they don't do anything. 
the shit is happening race to race right now. It's wild. It, and it's and it's awesome. It is it, until you're the guy getting talked about, and <laughs> right. then you got to read it. everybody yeah. saying everything about you. And then well, listen, I hear that talk. every I hear that every Monday from our TV it's, audience. <laughs> last year, it, it's the drivers are too vanilla, and then yeah. Yeah. Drive, then you then you say something, and then you're too outspoken. Yeah. You need to just keep your mouth shut and drive the race car. And you know, it, it's yeah. it's you know, at the end of the day. You just got to go out there, be yourself. Yes. And, 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 you know, do the best job. Be the best person that you can possibly be for your team, for your sponsors, for your fans. Be true to yourself. And, you know, I'm just the type of guy that what you see on TV is what you're going to get when the cameras turn off. I'm not going to turn it on for the camera and I'm not going to, you know, fill the fans full of BS. Um, You know, if I make a mistake, I'm going to, accept full responsibility for that but if i see bs i'm gonna i'm gonna call the bs so you know and and it's not just about this situation no, it's absolutely. a lot of situ- a lot of situations in the past uh but yeah you know it is it is it is tough it's a, it is a tough pill to swallow yeah. you know when when you're out there and, and you're you're living your dream and and you know but it is your job and you got to do the right thing at all times and and you know sometimes you make mistakes yep. and you know everybody will point it out and you know sometimes it's a tough pill to swallow and sometimes you just got to keep your mouth shut and just let it be and um just go out to the next race and uh you know that's all i'm going to do i'm just going to go to charlotte i know i got a great car my whole crew's done a fantastic job of giving me a great car this year we've won some race on whole shots i've lost the race on a whole shot we've outrun some people we've been low et of rounds we've we've had it we've had it all but it just goes to show that the level of competition has rose, but our team, my crew guys, my crew chiefs, Connie, everybody has rose to the level of the competition, and yeah. I feel like we really have a car that is capable of winning. No, you guys are absolutely hanging tough this year, and we've all seen the forward progress from, uh, you know, tail into last year into into these first four races of this year. So, Sean Langdon, thanks so much again for taking the time, man. It's like, to me, it's fascinating to get inside, really, the kind of into the depth of these uh, of these scenarios and situations. I think uh, people really love to hear about it, and I respect you for, for taking us on the trip, man. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Brian. When we come back, we have another guy who had a big starting line moment this year. His name's Manny Bujinga, and unlike Sean Langdon... Manny lost his crew chief because of it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, so we are back here in the NHRA Insider Podcast. Had a great conversation with Sean Langdon. Now we're going to switch gears and go to the Pro Mod category. We finally get our Pro Mod class back in Charlotte. Uh, they're going to be racing four wide, and a guy who has never done that, but will be doing it for the first time this year, is Manny Bujinga. Manny, how you doing, man? Very good, Brian. Thank you for having us on the uh, on your podcast there. So this is an interesting story, and we need to get people up to speed. So for people who don't know you and think that, uh, and maybe only know that you're the you know quote unquote rookie so far this year in the NHRA Pro Mod Series, I need some background on you. Now we've known each other for a really long time, so I don't specifically need it, but I think a lot of our audience would benefit from it. So let's give people some background about Manny Bujinga and, and kind of where you come came from to get to this point. So I'm just a simple guy that digs holes for a living is very good at that but a, a rookie nhra drive now um so we started back in 2000 with uh nmra and um nmra nmca and then progressed to small tire racing of uh radials 275s and we also messed around with some no prep stuff back of the track stuff to no prep kings so we've been doing this for about 20 years we got a total of like i think 
I'm pretty sure it's seven championships. Um, but yeah, that's kind of a background, just uh, small tire racing, nothing with, you know, big floppy tires on the back. Sure. So this, this element of the sport is, is new to you and to a degree in terms of just getting yourself acclimated to driving a big tire car, which obviously did, did a nice job of uh, qualifying for your first race down there in Gainesville. And, and I know that you have the right pieces, you have the right parts and the right people, which are the three elements to, to need the basic elements you need to succeed out here. Um, when we talk about stuff like the small tire arena, we talk about stuff like the, the no prep uh, action you, you were involved in. Let's go down that road a little bit in that you had a lot of success, uh, especially on the no prep side of things, to the point where I think you annoyed so many people in that realm of racing that they, I'm not just saying they threw you out, but I think they they kind of escorted you to the door. <laughs> well, I mean, we just had, like you say, we had the right people, we have the right, um, we have the right tuners, we had the right mentality of, you know, testing will get you far ahead, like when you say for NHRA, we had we had the right car, we had the right pieces, yeah. we had the right crew chief, but we just didn't have enough laps on the car to make it shine. So yeah. that's what we're working at now. But as far as the small tire world, I mean, we put on a lot of laps. I remember going to Bradington in 2000 and we had, uh, Mike Galini can justify this, is we had 100, I get 102 or 103 laps and two weeks <laughs> prior testing two weeks prior testing and we won that race and we won that championship that year. So testing is a big, um, a big piece to my puzzle that I think is what gets us the success that we are at. Yeah. And, and look, I think NHRA fans may have heard your name for the first time over this winter. Um, when you guys, uh, a mutual friend of, of yours, uh, Antron Brown ended up driving a car that you have owned and won a lot of races in. He gets in this thing and ends up winning, uh, the snowboard outlaw nationals down at Bradenton Motorsports park. So for people that may know Manny Bujinga as the guy who hooked up with, with Antron Brown and got him in a small tire car that he drove to a win. How did that whole thing come together? Talk about a, l- a little bit about how interconnected this sport is in that way, because it wasn't like you called up Antron and said, hey, drive my car. There was a, a neat mutual connection here involved. So Carlo is a very mutual friend of his and mine, and we're, we consider each other like brothers, um, and, and Michael Galimi as well. So at the end of the day, Carlos like, man, we got to get together with Carl, with Antron and, and we just got to talk. And we talked like three, four years before that. And we just never been able to make the connection yeah. of actually hooking up. And, you know, he keeps bouncing ideas off of me and, and, and I bounced a lot of ideas off of him. And, and at the end of the day, we're like, Hey, I just need a break. Cause we were running for a championship in the, um, radial outlaws. And, and we missed with both cars. We missed it by, I think we came in second in one and, and third or fourth in the other. So we missed it. It was like a stress level. We were relieved. We are like, let's yeah. go to this race, Tron. And Antron's like, all right, we're going to go. <laughs> so next thing you know, I got a, I got a top fuel team over there with uh, Brian and, <laughs> and, and Brad. And, and we brought out the new Corvette. And, and um, I mean, we just, we just had a good time. It was like no pressure. We didn't care. You know, we go there with the mentality of trying to win, yep. but it was just no pressure. And Antron just took so good to it. He's like, boom, boom. And just like, hey, Antron, like, this isn't like your fuel car. It doesn't have like the big kick it does. He's like, man, this thing gets and going. <laughs> and uh, and he's like, you're going to be driving a lot more on this than you are with the, with the fuel deal. And he's like, I got this. And next thing you know, he's like, you know, 030s, 040s on the light. And the things at when the lockup kicks on it it picks the front nose and moves around a little bit and he just adapted to it like a champ and like a champ he is. And, um, 
I mean, next thing you know, we're in the winner's circle. I'm on the outside looking in. I'm like, what's wrong with this picture? So, no, but it, it was good for the sport. It was good to have them there. Um, a lot of, you know, top fuel drivers now are kind of looking at the radial stuff. And yeah. Kind of like, you know, winking their eye, like, you know, do we got a chance with this? So, it's good for the sport to have people like Antron come over, and, and, and he's a good friend. No, it absolutely is, and, and it's a great story, and I'm glad you're able to give that insight because I'm sure a lot of people listening know that that happened, but now we kind of know the backstory of, of how it all came together. The real kind of reason I wanted to have you on here today is is to concentrate on this story from Gainesville, which is which is pretty wild, and it's been simmering behind the scenes in Pro Mod, um, and I'm not I'm not even sure we're going to be able to close the loop on all of it in this conversation because there's some still some stuff kind of hanging out in the air, but. To, to set the scene, for those of you that were watching ProMod in Gainesville, you might know a little bit about what happened, but, you know, you guys go down there, you test preseason like you talk about, you get the car all ready to go, you qualify for your first NHRA ProMod race, which is a great thing. It was a stout field of cars trying to bust their way in. Um, and then you run into Chris Thorne and Eliminations, and you guys have like a two-and-a-half-minute burndown on the starting line uh, before you get down the racetrack. So I want you, before we move on past that, when the, the story really gets juicy – Take me through the, the the mental kind of gymnastics here where you know you're going to race Thorne, defending series champion. It's your, you know, quote-unquote first race with these guys. What is it that tells you I'm going to sit here and melt this car to the ground before I let this guy stage second? So so we got to clarify this because I, I got into a debate with a, uh, a particular crew chief that used to work for me that we got to clarify this. Was this a burn down or was this a staging duel? Well, technically anymore, we can't have a burn down in the way that the, because there is auto start, you can't technically have the traditional burn down anymore where one driver sits fully staged and the other driver sits and hangs them out. So this is they're all in, in theory. Now they're all staging duels because at this point, when someone goes all the way in, the clock starts and you time out. So, so I like I still like to call it a burn down, even though it's a modified version of what it was back in the day. But uh, you can call it whatever you want. You guys both sat there for two and a half minutes. <laughs> but just to clarify, we got to clarify because some people are saying that this was one hundred percent a premeditated burn down. But in theory, it one hundred percent was a staging duel because at any point, any driver can go in and stage the car. Am I correct or am I wrong? No, you're 100% right. You guys are both, both and even even if you weren't sitting in pre-stage, you can double bulb somebody too. So yes, you're correct. Anybody can go in at any time. He could have put the light on or I could put the light on. We chose not to. So I'm, I'm just trying to clarify for all the people and all the people who say this is a burn down. It's 100% a staging duo. Do we agree? Yes, that is, that is fact. I agree. Okay. So going into the race, to get back to your question, going into that race, um, we knew that we didn't have the dominant car. We knew that we were behind. We needed more testing. And I've watched videos like I've watched on other opponents in the past. And Chris is a very good racer. He has the same crew chief I do or did and uh, was very dominant in the 2022 season that he won a championship. So you got to go up there as a racer to do the best job you can for yourself and for your team. That's how I approach it. So doing my homework on him, I always knew that if I raced him, Chris has some flaw or some fluke or uh, <laughs> some some little quirk that if he goes in first, he will usually red light. That's his quirk. Like that's it's nothing that I've don't know. But right. people wanted to do this. People all all the people that talked to me and said, you know, we all wanted to do this, but we just never did it. Well, okay, well I did it. 
<laughs> so going up there, nobody really knew that I was going to do that. I mean, I think my crew knew, but it was never talked about. Right. It wasn't like you guys had a huddle. You guys didn't huddle up and say, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. No, no. So at the end of the day, that's what we, that's what I did is I, I knew the best opportunity for me to win the round was just to see if I could draw them into going in first. Yeah. And, you know, it didn't work because my foot, you know, was shaking at the end and it's, it's tough to explain to people, but it was just shaking. It's just a lot of, a lot going on. And, and I went in and then we just, we got beat on the tree and we got outperformed on the track, which we knew was going to happen anyway. So that is the logistics of it. Wasn't anything malicious. Wasn't anything to hurt parts. Wasn't anything to, to hurt Chris or, or, or Jamie or my team or anybody. It was just the best approach that I could possibly do to win my round. I mean, it was unbelievable. It was two and a half minutes long, and it, we're sitting there watching it. At, at, at by the end of it, we could hear the fans yelling over the noise of the cars. People were coming out of their coming out of their seats. Your sponsor, uh, Everett's Auto Parts, the guy who owns the joint, was up in the stands. He loved it. I mean, it was a it was a big moment at that race. Uh, every everybody was was in awe you know like there's no rule that says hey last year's champ he's got the authority to go in last like there's nothing written like anybody that thinks that yeah they're definitely a dope like that's definitely not written in any bylaws that we have in racing world so um it it was it, it wasn't something that was done maliciously again but it also added a lot to the sport and it also also in my eyes showed a weakness that maybe he didn't want to unfold at that racetrack, but it happened. So now, I mean, there's a bounty, I guess, that CV Fast put out for you know whatever five hundred bucks. Whoever makes them stage first. Yeah, we're gonna get, we'll get into that in a second. But before we rush ahead to that part of the story, we need to go to the next part, which is you know we've mentioned Jamie. His name's Jamie Miller, the crew chief, and you guys have raced together for for years. You've won, you know, we've won almost everything there is to possibly win together. Um, so this this moment happens on the starting line. You guys go to the top end. We actually had a, a shot of you and Chris Thorne kind of like giving each other a bear hug or whatever down there. It's kind of like, hey, I had, to, I had to do something. But then you get back to the pit area, and then this is where the story really gets interesting to me. So talk to me through the point of from getting out of the race car to going back into the pit area, and let's talk about maybe the next hour after that. So so we do our deal, and we run. You know, we get to the end, and uh, at the end of the run. Like I, I think I said this before on a couple of podcasts is, uh, I mean, you start thinking about this stuff. You're like, man, Chris is a big boy. If that guy gets a hold of me, I'm in trouble. <laughs> so I got my helmet held tight. I'm like, and then I see him start running, but he's got a smile on his face. I'm like, oh boy, I'm gonna get one good crack. But he's smiling. So I'm like, all right, we're in good. So he just gives me a big bear hug. And and anybody that knows Chris, he's a good person. Yeah. But but he doesn't have a lot of like emotion. He's like pretty like. I mean, you could win the lottery for twenty million. He'd be like, "Oh, I just won that. That's pretty cool." So he's not, you know, he's yeah. a good person. Yeah, just not a lot, a lot of like raw emotion. Sure. So he was like, you know, like full of smiles and gave me a big hug. And, and he's like, "Can you believe what we just did?" I'm like, "I know. I was a part of it." And he's yeah. like, "That was so awesome." And then the crew start rolling in, and you could just feel the, you know, the hostility of like everybody's not happy. I'm like, "Okay, no big deal." So I get back to my pit and Franny goes, well, we just lost a crew chief. I'm like, what? And my wife goes, yeah, he just dropped off. He said he didn't sign up for that. I'm like, okay, no big deal. So, you know, kind of walk over to Thorne's pit. I'm like, Chris, we all right? And he's like, yeah, we're good. 
I'm like, no, there's no problems between me and you. He's like, no, absolutely. But Jamie's a little mad. I'm like, well, Chris, nothing for nothing, but you could have rolled that at any point. Yep. And his father goes, you know, Chris, you know, Chris could have rolled in at any point is correct. We, you know, we just broke some parts. I'm like, well, if you need a motor, I have a brand new one over there. Um, you guys can go get it. So I don't think there's anything between me and Chris. Yeah. And I hope there isn't. And, you know, he's always welcome to whatever I got. But, you know, at the beginning of the season, we started it off that we were supposed to be teammates. And I guess that's kind of where Jamie got upset. So he wants me to tell the truth. So here's the truth, Jamie. The truth is, is we sat in the trailer and testing like we knew that Thorne had to go in last. So my point of view is that I'm going to break his pattern. I'm going to make him go in first. Well, it didn't work at that race, but we got we got nine more to go. We'll, we'll figure it out how to get him back in in the first one. But at the end of the day, everybody knows who I how I race is. I'm I'm not a a person that's malicious to break anybody's parts. And that was the MO that he said was premeditated. Like I said, everybody's okay. going to go in. Well, I never knew that we were going to race Thorn in Gainesville for the first race, first round. Like, like <laughs> right. there's no premeditation. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? There's no premeditation yeah. to, hey, we're going to race Thorn first round. But I will tell you, if a crew chief has a problem with their teams, well, why don't you just say, hey, I'd appreciate it. I know how you race if you wouldn't do that to your team car. Or, hey, Chris, I know how many races. He's not going to want to put the top light on, uh, both lights on. So just be ready. But not just to sit there and then just walk away. Like, that was just, you know, me and Jamie go back a long time. Yeah. But I wasn't expecting that. No, I, I, I don't think any, I don't think anybody was. It was a, it was a surprise to me too, and I don't say that to I don't say that to be like, oh, I can't believe Jamie would do that. I just it didn't seem to me the type of thing that would cause somebody to just throw their hands up and, and leave. It didn't seem like that level. I mean, it was a great moment of intensity, but it didn't seem like it was some sort of a straw that broke the camel's back type thing. Yeah, but he's very. I will tell you, Jamie. Uh, Jamie is very passionate about what he does. He's very he's very into it. He is. A very good crew chief, meaning that he wants to win as bad as the team, if yeah. not more. All right. And and that worked great with us, and we had a lot of success. But at the end of the day, in my eyes, it doesn't justify breaking up a good team. Yeah. But it did in his eyes. Yeah. But I will say this pretty loud and pretty clear and pound my chest about it is nobody will tell me when I'm going to stop racing. I'll dictate when I stop racing. And that can go out to whoever they want, but I'll be at the next race. I'll be at the next nine races. Um, will we struggle? Sure we will. Will we put the pieces back together? They'll eventually fall back in, and it's just learning curves. And, again, I wish Jamie the best, but I didn't think I was going to lose the crew chief over not staging the car um, first. So I, I don't understand it, but it is what it is. You mentioned this bounty, and yes, DB Fast Jackson and, and Lyle Barnett and those guys got together, and and they've come up with this this bounty deal that basically the first person that can get Chris Thorne to stage first, I think it's up to twenty five hundred bucks at the last time I checked. The first person to get to get Thorne to stage first, or to be disqualified <laughs> for not staging next to him if both of the cars sit there for so long, is going to get paid this twenty five hundred bucks. Do you think in some way? 
and again, from my perspective as a guy who's you know involved on the you know journalist or whatever side covering this side of the thing, it's a fantastic story. But do you think Pandora's box has been open a little bit? And do you think now that Thorne is going to have to have this lingering in the back of his head almost every time he goes up to race? Is this guy going to make me sit here for two minutes? Not just you, everybody. I mean, obviously there is. I mean, racing is is definitely a percentage of racing is psychological. You know, you got to psych the opponent. You got to. Um, you got to do your job at the tree, whether it's staging first or last. Sure. My 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 belief is you can't show a a pattern of you got to go in yeah. last, you got to go in first, because that'll break. Somebody's gonna break you. Yep. Like there'll be a jerk like me that comes along and wants you to stage first. <laughs> right. Um, I think a lot of people wanted to do it, but just didn't. You know, just didn't like the the rules of the country club being broken. So. Yep. Um, everybody goes up there all nice, but when we put the pre-stage lights on, like we're there to win. Like we're not there to like, hey, you know, I want to pat your your feelings. You know, I don't want to. I want to. I want to go golfing, but I want to bring my golf. Club. No, 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 no. This is we're here to race. <laughs> right. We're here to win, right? So we got to do what we need to. And I think it definitely opened up like something, like a little bit of controversy. Yes, no, and absolutely. It's good for the sport, it's fantastic. It's good for the sport. Like you watched it uh, two weeks ago. It happened in. Um, and pro stock. Yep. Yeah. So it, it, it's it's like it's not it's nothing new to the sport, but it also adds a little uh, a little drama, a little character. Um, people are definitely going to be people are definitely going to try to push him to go in. Now whether he goes in or not, I don't know, but I'm sure at some point somebody will be willing to sit there and get DQ'd. Yeah, I, it's gonna, and again, it's it's one of those things that makes you lean forward in your chair when when the, when these cars come to the starting line, which is exactly what you want to have in drag racing. You want to you don't want to have some sort of a idea of how, oh this is going to go this way or that way. You want to have that moment of uncertainty of how's this going to play out. So so speaking of moments of uncertainty and how things are going to play out, um, there is some stuff floating around out there about what your plan is going forward. Some stuff maybe been released. I'm not a hundred percent sure what your what direction you're, you're taking here to go. I know you're going to continue to race, as you just said. But what can you tell us about what we are going to see from you and your team in Charlotte? I mean, I think Charlotte will be a big surprise to a lot of people. Um, Jason Lee is is taking over the tuning duties, which I I feel fully confident that he can he can uh, do the job, and uh, we could definitely win with Jason. He's he's fairly knowledgeable. Very down to earth, very passionate about racing. Um, I, I think he'll get us to that same level pretty quick. But I think uh, there are going to be a lot of surprises in Gainesville. Uh, people just need to stay tuned in. And maybe the week. <laughs> um, it, it, it'll definitely. All I can tell you is the key words is I'm not stopping racing. And if anything, it just got me more aggravated. So we will be at the next nine NHRA races. And whether this is premeditated or not, I'll announce it right now. If we race Thorn again, we will shut the thing off, put it in neutral, but we will not roll in. That will be DQ'd. So I'm just making it, you know, if the crew members or crew chiefs want to say this is all premeditated, full warning, we will not stage that car. Well, that's good. So, See, I like that we've established that fact. But And one of the things along these lines is – um, how much did this class and how much did this class kind of need how much of this how much did this class need a little Manny injected into it is my question because I feel like the energy has changed a little bit here and I kind of like it man I, I think 
I'm just the racer that listen, I, I, I dig holes for a living. I love I love racing. It's a passion of mine. And again, I'm not taking any and I can't take anything away from Jamie, but Jamie was very good at what he did and is very good. But you need a little Manny, a little Jamie, a little Franny. You needed all this injected in, in the pro mod. And now you got like this this whole thing that's going on with bounties and pro mods and hey I want to stick it to him too and make sure that he goes in because I've seen this before so you got all these different angles and and like look at what it's done for pro mod I mean it's definitely brought it to a whole new level we got 21 cars coming to Charlotte and it's been a while since we've had that big a field and the rest of the races are looking really strong as well um and you know not all that is directly related to what we're talking about right now but to me it speaks to it speaks to this class kind of coming through a little bit of a rebirth period where we obviously the last couple of seasons were down on cars and it was kind of tough at times but you know when i look at that entry sheet and i see 21 names and i see 21 like real deal holy field big names on there it's pretty great and you know do you think do you think this first race experience for you could have been any more valuable? And I realize it was traumatic to some degree. It was stressful to some degree. It was kind of a circus to some degree. But is this the way you kind of wanted to start? Like, get all the big stuff out of the way right off the bat? No, that's kind of funny, the word circus, because that came up that I'm, you know, I'm the ringleader of a circus. But anyways, um, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's not it, it's not a circus. It's not yeah. stressful. It's 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 a it's a fun atmosphere to be in nhra it, it really is like you know the the, the protocol of hey you got to be in the lanes at this time the you know you go into the pairings you know boom boom it's it's like an assembly line and at the end of the day it's not hey we want you in the lanes at two o'clock hey you're in the burnout at two o'clock yeah get ready to roll and it's like just so professional and it just takes a lot of stress off the driver and the team because they know what they need to shoot for. Hey, we, we got to be up there by four o'clock. So we know our goal. I mean, I think it's just, I think it's stressless because you have all these high end guys, but we know what we need to do and we know what time we need to be up there and we know what we got to get to. So it's, I think it's very well organized and takes a lot of stress off the teams. Well, and to your point, and, and for people who don't maybe know that the point that Manny's making here in other forms of drag racing, like whether we're talking about some of the small tire stuff or whatever, you know, the times that things happen at tend to float around or the order they happen in tend to float around or there's shenanigans on guys coming into the staging lanes early or late or there's people trying to kind of angle a spot next to somebody else in the lanes. And and basically what it does is it it, it takes it takes and it, it makes days uh, 18 hours long. And t- to your point, Manny, the form and function of this, you know, we're doing it for 70 something years. So everybody's, you know, the plan's pretty well established. But that's an interesting p- point you brought up because I think you've done it both ways, right? You've, you've had those days where you make a run at 11 o'clock in the morning and then you're making a run at 10 o'clock at night and then it's 2.30 in the morning versus when they tell you, hey, uh, Q1 is at 1, 1.15 p.m., it's going to be at 1.15 p.m. And Q2 is going to be at 3.45. Uh, don't be late. Yeah, there's there's no – I mean, we've done rounds. I mean, I've been in finals in all our racing at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. We've raced all day into the night to finish the round. But, I mean, it just it's very, very humbling and very nice that, hey, 6 o'clock we're done. You can have dinner with your crew at any place you want to go because we know we're going to be done. Yeah. So it, it's it's very good to have structure, and especially the structure that NHRA has 
And I can't tell you enough, um, getting a little off base, but I can't tell you enough of how much I respect NHRA safety safari. Like the car doesn't even finish rolling and there's already a team there. So it's all stuff that if you're not there, you need to be there. It's awesome. Well, I'll tell you what you brought a great you brought a great flavor to that first race and uh, and this story that kind of continues to develop. Which I said we're not really even going to have the tail end of the story because I think I think most people are going to learn what that is when you roll through the gate in in Charlotte. But uh, to say that uh, to say that you're not a guy who rolls over easily would be the uh, <laughs> would be the understatement of my decade. But Manny, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for laying all this stuff out for us and uh, thanks for thanks for bringing this this crazy storyline into promo this year. Uh, we appreciate it. And for all the fans and people that are out there, make sure you stay tuned or be in Charlotte. Next move will be priceless. He's Manny Bujenga, and he'll be driving something in Charlotte. I'm just not quite sure what it is yet. Manny, once again, thanks for taking the time. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Stick around. I'll be right back with my final thoughts from this episode of the NHRA Insider. Don't go anywhere. And we are back with my final thoughts in this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. This has been a good one. As the kids would say, it's a banger. Getting inside some of this psychological stuff that goes on at the starting line in professional drag racing is fascinating to me. It's great. Uh, it's like there's something in the water so far in 2023, and it's and it's it's been really fun to watch. And I think we're not going to see it go away. I think we're going to see it ramp up. The level of professional competition is rising. It has continued to rise, and the parity of these cars and classes has told us that now it is more than ever coming down to that human element of deciding wins and losses. And when we now have even more pressure on the human element side of things, this is when we start to see to me, these great storylines come out. This is when we start to see the gamesmanship. This is when we start to see people understanding that they need to maybe at times take matters into their own hands to do something um, to get themselves onto the next round or to get a race win. And it is um, it is the dawn of something really good. I, I think there's going to be a lot more of these conversations we have over the course of this season, more so than we've had in many, many years. So we will be back next week with our Charlotte pre-race show. I'll, I'll gather the, uh, the Super Friends Network back together with Kevin McKenna and Tony Pedragon as we do on race weeks. But to have these two particular guys, Sean Langdon and Manny Bujang, a championship level racers coming on here and getting us inside these stories is priceless thanks for watching and or listening to this episode of the nhra insider i'll see you back next week enjoy the weekend and we're going to get ready for more four wide action in charlotte we'll be back soon thank you